UpperCervicalDocs.com. This is Dr. Paul Hamburg of UpperCervicalDocs.com, and you're about to hear an interview I did with Dr. Darren White. Dr. White is a 2001 graduate of Life University in Marietta, Georgia, and currently practices in Kirkland, Washington. He is a practitioner of the Blair Upper Cervical Technique, was the 2008 Blair Chiropractor of the Year, has started multiple upper cervical clinics through a unique mentorship program where he not only teaches young doctors how to own and operate the practice of their dreams, but also instructs them in the Blair Upper Cervical Technique as well. In this interview, Dr. White discusses his upbringing in England and Canada, how he was introduced to chiropractic, how a frightening incident led to him discovering upper cervical chiropractic, uh, his multiple upper cervical clinics, his other companies like Worksite Wellness and Achieving Wellness, plus much more. Dr. White is an exciting, young, and ambitious doctor, and I hope you enjoy this interview. Hello? Hello, Dr. White. How are you? I'm good. How are you? How does it feel to be using a landline for the first time in forever? I know. It's it's uh, sort of strange. I, uh, I had to ask my wife what the number was to make sure I gave you the right one. <laughs> uh, that, that was hysterical. I died when I read that. Yeah, we just never use it, and uh, we got it for the alarm system, and, and that that's really the only reason we have a landline, and, and we've just never used it. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, really So you funny. use your cell phone for everything? Everything. Absolutely everything. Yeah, about 4,000... 5,000 minutes a month. Good <laughs> night. Are you, do, you, do you know what keeping that thing up next to your head is doing to your brain? I try to keep it as far away from my head as possible. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm on the phone quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah, so you're uh, busy trying to open up another clinic, huh? We're on the countdown, so Tuesday the 24th, um, we open it up and... Uh, this has been the most challenging one just in the sense that uh, we are doing everything we can to uh, attempt digital and paperless office. And so it's always kind of fun running through our current office trying to say, okay, how do we get rid of this piece of paper? How do we get rid of this piece of paper? <laughs> and uh, so it's been a little more challenging and, and trying to integrate all of those things. But uh, I'm super excited. It'll be the flagship office for all future offices, so we're putting every little piece of heart and mind into it. Now, are you doing this in conjunction with another doctor, or is this going to be your clinic? No, this is, uh, yeah, it's sort of funny. Um, the clinics that we open are always for other doctors, so uh, I'm stuck in the main office with uh, uh, very old uh, equipment <laughs> and uh, dilapidated walls and uh, all the other offices get all the new stuff, so um, it's somewhat uh, uh, frustrating, but uh, this is the, just the way the model works, so yeah. at some point I'll upgrade my own office. Yeah. Well, hey, let's kick off here. Uh, sure. w uh, tell me where you were born and uh, okay. where did you grow up? Great. Uh, born in England and raised in Canada, so uh, I spent the first seven years of my life in, in uh, the West Country. It's what's famous for cider in England, a place called Devon. And then my parents decided that uh, for us to have the best opportunity that we needed to get out of England and, and actually uh, move to Canada. So when I was seven, we all uplifted our lives and transplanted in our, ourselves in Canada in, in hopes of just a better opportunity for the, for the kids. 
Wow. Wow, that's pretty uh, admirable of your parents. Yeah, considering they both had to give up, you know, what they had there. And uh, we have a lot of family still there. But uh, they were pretty forward-thinking in the sense that they just wanted uh, the best opportunity for the kids. And uh, England's pretty rigid. So... Um, they were they were willing to make that sacrifice, and I guess uh, I'm super grateful they did. What, when you say rigid, what uh, what are you referring to specifically? Um, I mean, schooling in England is pretty tough. Uh, so there's you know, you're pretty much uh, there's very few schools where you wouldn't end up in a uniform, and um, just the thinking is uh, there's pretty you know pretty much one way to teach and one way to learn, and so. The open-mindedness of going through that system is 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 not so present, and where Canada was just a little more progressive on that on that on that uh, on that note, so they wanted us to um, kind of break some. Of I mean, I had a lot of crazy rules growing up, and uh, you know, no elbows on the table and uh, very formal, you know, dinners and and. Uh, um, you know, may I please be excused if you ever had to go to the bathroom, and, and always using a knife and fork. Uh, uh, a lot of a lot of stuff. That's uh, I grew up. I, my mom was not from England, but I had the same upbringing. Yeah, I mean, it was it was it was. Sometimes it was hard when I brought friends over uh, to my grandmother's house. I mean, it was very, uh, you know, just very different in, in that sense. I mean, having your knife and fork at five o'clock to signal the rest of the table that you were done um little things like that yeah well that that is that's a little more than what i had but <laughs> but it makes for it makes for well-disciplined people when you have an upbringing like that yeah it sure does it sure does what did your parents do um in england they were farmers we had a dairy farm 100 and i think it's 138 dairy cattle and some beef cattle uh and they decided that uh, they were going to give that up. But when they did go to Canada, they landed into a very similar opportunity, similar size farm. And so they uh, continued farming in Canada. Um, but, you know, kind of at that time, they uh, just, you know, just in the late 70s, the, you know, the need for factory farming um, kind of presented itself. And my dad was forced to... Uh, you know, use steroids, and, and because the steroids caused infection, and then it was you know antibiotics after that, and and uh, so he just just you know decided that he didn't want to participate in that environment, and uh, and so he left farming uh, as a result of that, and uh, through a divorce and uh, a number of years, my dad ended up uh, remarried, and he now owns uh, several bakeries. I think they have four at this point uh, in northern Ontario. So he's a baker. It's kind of fun. And uh, along with a little European cafe attached to it, and my mother uh, took on a series of jobs as well as a single mom, and, but uh, ended up in the in the life ins uh, life insurance industry right now. Uh, was it your dad's uh, impetus more than your mom's to leave England and uh, come to the come come here? No, it was actually my mom's. So my mom had a little bit of connection uh, to Canada, and uh, so it was her. Uh, really driving to uh, push for you know the kids to have the most opportunity. Uh, my dad's roots are very strong in England and um, uh, through and through. So uh, they, uh, I think my mom's was the one that kind of drove that that cart a little bit. Well, it sounds like they both though were very principled. I mean, your uh, mom 
making a decision for the sake of her children to uh, completely uproot and move to another country, and your dad giving up a career completely because he doesn't like the way he sees things going. It sounds like they both had uh, a lot of, uh, they lived their life by some pretty strong principles. Yeah, my, my parents are both very, very incredibly strong uh, individuals, and um, you know, I know that got passed on. Uh, to the kids for sure uh, and it was always fun you know interacting with them at times as well <laughs> as you can imagine how many uh, how many siblings do you have I have uh, two brothers and they're twins and uh, they're two years younger than me um, and then we also when my father remarried uh, we ended up with uh, a couple of stepbrother or one stepbrother and a couple stepsisters so uh, there was three girls and one boy um, added to uh, the three of us. So we have a pretty good family now. Yeah. yeah. Well, what was your uh, first experience with chiropractic? Uh, first experience was, uh, it was sort of, I was in the ninth grade. Um, my parents had gone away uh, on holidays and uh, left the kids to uh, rule the roost. And at the same time, they, they had some painters uh, uh, in the house painting uh, while they were gone. I was... Uh, got up one morning and I just, it was sort of strange, I just yawned really hard and stretched really hard at the same time and uh, I just heard this horrific snap in my neck and uh, immediately went uh, just into excruciating pain all the way down. I, I, I couldn't move anything without that pain uh, firing off and I was just left there sort of laying, dangling my foot against the wall, trying to hit, tap the wall until finally one of the painters downstairs uh, heard the tapping and uh, came upstairs and uh, sort of freaked out, um, called my dad. Uh, at that time, my uh, mom had worked for a chiropractor, so my dad just naturally um, called the, uh, the chiropractor that my mom worked for and explained, you know, my mom was out of town on holidays and I had this, uh, this issue. And, you know, he just basically said, get him in as quickly as you can. So they, the painters, it was kind of, it would be a good, you know, Laurel and Hardy uh, episode of them trying to get me out of bed and my arms flopping around and, and uh, throwing up on myself. Um, even once uh, nailed my hand in the car door and I didn't even know it until uh, basically after I was uh, well into the chiropractic visit. It was just so, so much pain. Oh, my gosh. Um, but it, it was really amazing. I mean, the experience, uh, you know, I was there two hours, and and, uh, and I know the chiropractic doesn't always work this way, but it did that day. Uh, he had me walking uh, in two hours and, and uh, virtually pain-free, and um, I was a pretty big skeptic at the time, but uh, that was my first, you know, uh, real introduction to chiropractic. That's an intense uh, introduction. <laughs> yes. I think a lot of chiropractors have uh, some sort of major... Um, you know, uh, life, uh, you know, life-saving experience. I don't know if mine was life-saving, but uh, certainly an eye-opener. Yeah. Was it uh, an upper cervical chiropractor? It wasn't. He was uh, an activator doctor in uh, in Ontario, Doctor Doctor Boyce, and uh, just a super great uh, uh, gentleman, and um, just very loving, compassionate, uh, very detailed in, in his work. And uh, so it was a great introduction. What, uh, what was it that incident that made you decide to do this for a living? Or yeah, I, I mean after I mean I was always going towards some something in the health field and being young and naive, 
uh, I just assumed I'd be a medical doctor. I didn't really know any different, want to know any different. That was just where I was going. And uh, I, I thought chiropractors were sort of weird. I thought the guy that my mom worked for was sort of weird. I mean, we came in on the weekends and sort of played with uh, some of the things that were in his office, but uh, never really took any serious note of it uh, until this event. And then I thought, i got to follow this guy around. So, you know, I was young in high school and following him around, uh, watching how he took care of patients and, and just seeing how he conveyed, you know, just such a simple, clear message um, to the patients. And uh, uh, the results were amazing and, and uh, everybody seemed gracious and grateful and, and it was just the most fun I, I'd ever had in, in a work environment. And, you know, you see that once or twice and, you, you know, you just decide you got to have that. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, where did you go to school? Uh, he he was very uh, influential in where I went to school. He uh, basically, you know, gave me the opportunity. He flew me down to uh, Life University, and uh, uh, before I went traveling uh, to Europe, and he he was trying to push me to go down to school right away. He thought if I traveled Europe, um, I might never go to school. So he uh, put up the ticket, Life University. Um, Put me up in, I think it was Ashborough Village at the time, so they had a couple condos in there. Um, so I was sort of treated like royalty, uh, somewhat, comparatively speaking, to you know that time of my life. And I thought it was great, and spent three days on campus, you know, auditing classes. And um, so uh, I came back, and, and he said, so when are you going down there? And I said, well, I'm going to travel Europe. <laughs> so I, I still traveled, but uh, I got back, let's see, I got back in, in October. Of, uh, of of that year, or actually a couple years later, but uh, I traveled for a while. Uh, but I got back in October, and I was in school by January. Mm-hmm. So I was pretty clear um, after I spent those three days down there that I was going to Life University. So was this immediately after high school that you went down there? Uh, yeah, so I was in uh, grade 13 in Canada, and uh, um, so, you know, upon graduation, I was you know basically going to Europe and he was trying to trying to stop that as best he could mm-hmm. and and uh, but I was I, I was going to travel my uh, my family has a history of travelers in it and I think it's in my blood mm-hmm. um, so I was just determined I'm going to travel and even though I loved the school and loved you know what he had introduced me to I was still going to travel before going down there right so then when you came back you uh uh you went through your undergraduate studies at Life as well. Yes, I did the whole works there. I spent a long time at, uh, <laughs> at uh, in Marietta, Georgia, mm-hmm. um, and thoroughly enjoyed it from from start to finish. No, oh, well, that's great. Mm-hmm. With, uh, were you introduced to uh, upper cervical work there at Life? I was. Um, it was actually somewhere. I'm trying to think back. Somewhere around about the uh, fifth or sixth quarter. Um, I'd done a lot of traveling uh, throughout the world, the rest of the world other than Europe during my school, so I would take three months off pretty much most years um, in school and, and just to travel around. And uh, I, I, came to, I just had an episode in, in, in my basement one night, um, just a horrific life kind of scare with my health, and uh, it was never properly diagnosed. Um, they don't know really, but the top two working diagnoses were uh, a stroke or a brain tumor. Hmm. And so um, that kind of a life 
scare, you know, kind of sent me on a journey to make sure that whatever I was doing in any kind of health in my, my life, I wanted to make sure that I was doing the best. Um, it, that landed me in the research center at, uh, on campus there at Life University, and I met uh, Dr. Sue Brown. And so she was my first introduction to the Blair work, and um, she sat with me and kind of showed me the... Um, you know, the asymmetries and the anomalies in the spine. And I think it was that first sort of lecture into uh, Blair that I, I was, I just knew that that's what I wanted to do. And I think uh, after that it was sort of Dr. Rustici that uh, I took my Blair primary, intermediate, and advanced with. Um, and then it was Michael and ours, uh, Dr. Michael and ours from out here in Washington that really rounded out my, my Blair uh, understanding, and then coupled it just with the uh, sort of the business skills and, and the marketing skills that were necessary um, to you know have a successful Blair practice. And then, and even beyond that, I was sort of super lucky to meet up with Dr. Forrest and Dr. Muncie, who you know again just were able to polish what what I'd learned in the journey. And uh, so I'm just super grateful for a bunch of. Um, fantastic, you know, Blair mentors along the way that were um, very selfless in, in the way they gave their their uh, advice, information, and training. Yeah, you really hooked up with some big names there. Yeah, it was fun. It was really good. Really good. Tell me a little bit, if you don't mind me uh, uh, going off just a little bit here. Tell me about uh, Dr. Rustici because I've I've only just heard of him, third person for several years. And uh, I've never talked with anybody who's worked directly with him. So uh, if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about yeah. him. Uh, he was great. So he had, at the time, he was teamed, and I think still is, uh, he was teamed up with Roger Morrison. And uh, the two of them were doing a lot of Blair seminars in and around uh, life and in and around Sherman. In fact, I drove to a couple of the seminars uh, out at Sherman. And uh, super charismatic gentleman. Uh, massive practice in uh, Kansas City, I believe. I never did go visit uh, that practice, but I, I've heard it's legendary, and uh, I would love to see it someday. Uh, so he had quite an influence over us, and, and I'm, I'm just trying to think. I don't think anybody else was really, you know, you know, Dr. Forrest and Dr. Muncie were really teaching it on the on the uh, West Coast, but uh, but on the in the Atlanta area, it was really just uh, uh, Dr. Rustici and Dr. Morrison. So I had teamed up with them. I actually helped them put on a few seminars on top of the ones that I'd already taken, uh, just because we we loved it so much. Yes, uh, Rasisi was actually the very first doctor that I had ever heard of the uh, paperless office. Oh, really? Yeah, it was actually yeah. a patient that uh, knew my uh, father-in-law really well, and he was describing it to him. And so my father-in-law was telling me about it, and I'm like, God, I've never heard of anything like this before. And um, it 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 just sounded fantastical almost because you know paperless wasn't uh, wasn't really in the uh, no no I, I mean he just sounded like he was really really on the forefront of technology. Yeah, I sh I ought to call him because uh, I imagine if he was that then I can't imagine what he is now, and uh, he was certainly an intense individual, and uh, uh, and, and I mean the teaching was very. You know, I, I really enjoyed his teaching methods as well. 
did you intern with any of these guys, or did you go right into, or did you associate uh, either one, or did you go right into practice uh, yourself, uh, or or did you go through a program like what you put doctors through now? Yeah, I, I, I you know, it's funny. I, I did the exact same thing that I, uh, I, I'm doing now. So uh, it's funny you look back, and it, it seems like a series of, of uh, um, just perfect steps. I got, I just got very, very lucky and blessed in, in the process. So when I, when I left uh, uh, life, um, I was, you know, I interned with uh, you know, Dr. Michael Lenars in Cedar Woolley, Washington, which was, um, you know, a thousand people. Uh, and a thousand and one when I got there, actually thousand two, including my wife. Uh, so there was, it was a very small town, and and but he was, he you know allowed me to uh, intern there from I guess I started in September, just uh, September twelfth, day after nine eleven, actually. Mm. Um, and that's how I'll never forget starting in his office, mm. <laughs> something to anchor to. Uh, but I started there, and, and then by uh, February he had. Uh, transplanted me out of the office and into uh, a satellite office in Kirkland, which is down closer to the city. So I was about 15 minutes outside of Seattle on the east side. And from there, he allowed me to run that uh, office and continued to, you know, coach and mentor me through um, all the more advanced sort of stuff like, you know, hiring and firing and uh, the numbers of the clinic and profit and loss and, and payroll and um, you know, all the way through to to buyout of the of the practice, which happened in in um, June of 2004. So I, I was pretty lucky in the sense that I got to intern, I got to associate, um, I got to be a clinic director, and then I got to be a clinic owner. And then so those you know, even though those days were super hard, um, uh, I did get to go through the whole path and and uh, and learned an immense amount of stuff from that. Uh. Could you go into a little bit of detail of exactly how the program works from start to buyout? Yeah. Um, so essentially, uh, you know, the program itself starts with uh, an, an internship. So you come in and uh, you'll work next to, um, you, you know, if you're talking about mine, you work next to me. If you're talking about Lenar's, you talk, you know, you're right next to the main doc or a successful doc. And you're sort of tied at the hip. Uh, to that person, and then what happens is you, you you have a checklist of a series of things that you must accomplish, and most of it is uh, you know other than the, the scripts that you learn and the procedures and you know uh, day one, day two, you know your report of findings. Um, you'll learn to master what we call the five visits of of in a chiropractic office, which is essentially your regular patient visit, your new patient visit, your class, your uh, re-report, re-exam. And uh, what am I missing in there? Your report of findings. So those are the five main visits in an office. So you master those in the first uh, 90 days is about what the internship takes. And once you checked off that checklist and, and mastered all of those visits, um, plus you've observed, and this is where I think most of the learning happens. You've, you know, you've observed a dozen report of findings done by the, you know, by the main doctor. You've observed, you know, 100 visits. Uh, you've observed 12 exams and so on down a checklist. Um, we do doctor's training every Thursday night, um, and every single night we train on one of those visits. So there's five days in the week, um, so we'll train on each of those uh, visits uh, each night, and then the main doctor's training will occur on Thursday nights. So there's a lot of training, and uh, 
Um, then after that, once you get up to a certain level, you, you um, will become, you know, in, in our system, you're allowed to see your own patients. So once you see your own patients and get up to a certain volume, you can execute um, a couple of options. You know, the main one that I executed was the satellite option. So it's at that time I approached, you know, Dr. Lenars and said, I want a, I want a, a satellite office. And so he transplanted me to Kirkland, and then I had a, another series of checklists to make it through uh, until we got to the buyout phase, of, of which, you know, I get to execute that. Uh, and I think the whole process took about... Um, just under three years and uh, so you, you really get to go through that whole thing and end up you know with your own um, practice that is uh, uh, that is super successful from the ground up what is the recruiting process like for the uh, intern um, that's always been you mean what do I do to uh, attract interns or, or what do interns do to sell themselves on you either one right um, so I don't, you know, I'm pretty, pretty out there. I have a lot of things on the, you know, on the internet. I try to make myself pretty uh, as a resource to the students in school. So I have, a, you know, a website at you know, ownyourdreampractice.com, and uh, also I have uh, a, um, uh, you know, I teach down at the college, down at Life West, uh, some classes, and uh, you know, I have ads in the paper and so on. So, you know, I tend to run into a lot of students. Um, I'm pretty passionate about helping other people kind of get what they want. So I tend to help a lot of people, you know, in their process and be a resource for them. Uh, and then, you know, maybe one or two out of a hundred, you know, decide to uh, move through a process like this. And that's ultimately uh, one of the, my most favorite relationships. Have you ever had a student who uh, was interested in being an intern but had had no uh, previous upper cervical experience? <laughs> My very first one, actually. Wow. <laughs> That's a funny story. So, uh, uh, yeah, uh, so I, I just bought my practice, and um, I knew this is what I wanted to do, but I knew I wasn't ready to do it. And uh, another Canadian student had approached me, and, and she's actually referred to me from an attorney friend of mine. Uh, she was in a bad associateship, and the doc was sort of, you know, like you know, kind of like you and I were talking about earlier. The chiropractors tend to eat their young. Mm. Um, she was in a in a situation like that. A lot of promises made, but nothing delivered. And so what happened was, um, she uh, convinced me that I was ready <laughs> to have a uh, uh, an intern right away. And she was very persistent, and uh, and and ultimately she made it all the way through to you know her own clinic, and uh, so that was kind of a fun process. Uh, she was not upper cervical; she was a full spine doctor at the time, and I was you know battling, uh, you know, is this going to work or is this not going to work? I mean, what happens if you know she uh, has to take a leave of absence? I mean, how on earth could I do a rotary break? I, I don't even know how to do that. Um, so I was really kind of nervous, and finally I just said, no, 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 no. Uh, and then, you know, over the course of a series of discussions, uh, she convinced me that that was the best thing to do, and she became um, a Blair doctor as well. So it actually worked out for both of us, and then she bought out, uh, I think it's almost been a year and a half now, uh, that since she's owned her own, uh, her own practice. Uh, tell us what uh, is... Uh AchievingWellness.net and WorkSiteWellness.net. So, um, 
AchievingWellness.net is our way of uh, branding the... So I have this philosophy that I, I feel like deep down people uh, really want their own their own office. And I know there's you know many ways to do this. And uh, you can you can franchise and be a part of that. You can uh, you know be a part of a group practice and, and so on. But uh, I think there are a number of people that deep down want their own um, their own office. So I've allowed in in our system each person to brand and um, develop their, uh, a practice that is a complete reflection of that person. And I feel like when it is a complete ref- reflection of that person, that they are ultimately uh, in their most powerful position because everything is an expression of them. So I think it just supports that. And at the same time, I do believe in the value of branding uh, 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 and franchising. So what we've done is, you know, sort of came up with a a, uh, a mechanism that allowed for both to exist in the same place. So you'll notice that my practice is called Health First Chiropractic. Uh, you know, we've since opened up other practices that are uh, called Thrive Chiropractic, Synergy Chiropractic, et cetera, et cetera. And, but we're all achieving wellness centers, Vitality Chiropractic. Um, so we're still branded together. Our image and positioning inside of Puget Sound is, is upper cervical health care. And, and, but we've allowed each individual doctor to uh, brand themselves. Worksite Wellness became... Um, does that make sense before I go on? To yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. So Worksite Wellness, uh, so I figured this is how it works, right? You, uh, you, your dream in the, in the beginning of the day is, uh, hey, I want to help these docs, you know, get, get, uh, get their dream practice, which is a complete reflection of them. Um, so you need, you need to have some sort of marketing uh, at the end of the day that supports that kind of uh, volume of doctors coming into the system. So Worksite Wellness actually was created by accident. Um, I literally was drugged into, um, it was Christmas time, and, and I was in practice, and I was doing okay, but not great, and the practice started to take a real dive over Christmas. And uh, this gentleman was in my x-ray chair, and he asked me the question, and I wasn't feeling so great that day, so I just told him the absolute truth. I said, you know what, it's actually kind of slow, it's Christmas. And uh, he says, well, why don't you come into my office and, and tell your story because uh, you've really changed my life and there's probably a few guys around the office that would, would love to hear from you. So I was terrified, and, uh, uh, but he drug me in there and, you know, anyways, long story short, a couple hours later I had 33 new patients. Mm. And, uh, and that, was, that was really it. That was the birth of, of Worksite Wellness. I thought, well, hey, if, uh, if that's the way... Uh, this is way more fun than standing at uh, Rite Aid. Uh, so we have drug stores and grocery stores, which is how I built my practice, uh, screening six hours a day at a drug store. Mm. Um, this is a lot better. And so then we just decided over time to, uh, hey, I need to get some other wellness providers together, and we need to uh, put on health fairs and in, in, in lunch and learns inside the businesses and strictly as a marketing uh, way uh, to get uh, patients into the practice. Um, and then over time, the, kind of, the company sort of uh, gained great relationships inside of these businesses, and they just kept asking for more. And, uh, and then we decided that, hey, we're going to brand this thing completely separate and, uh, and give it legs uh, to run in the long term. And so interestingly enough, now we're a completely different company. Um, it's sort of evolved into uh, you know, a full-service wellness implementation company, um, where health fairs are really just a small piece uh, of what we do now, um, 
and, and it's just super exciting because there's a, a huge hole in our in our industry. And you know, Obama just yesterday signed a billion dollars uh, for wellness implementation initiatives. So I think that this is where things are moving, and we're positioning ourselves to to really take the lead on on that. Um, so I'm really excited about that company and and uh, it's got a huge future and uh, the irony is that it happened by accident but the uh, the opportunity is also that any, you know all the DCs that come and work with us uh, they certainly have access to that resource and they're automatically plugged into all the businesses in the area uh, what what other than the uh, the the health fairs what other things does the company provide so we've moved into, we used to lead with a, uh, our, our lead product was the, a free wellness fair. And essentially what we did is we just brought in some providers. We charged the provider uh, to be at the event in, 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 in exchange for them getting exposure in a company. And we didn't charge the company anything. And so the companies were, you know, it was a low, uh, you know, kind of a low barrier uh, thing for them. Like, yeah, yeah, come on in. That sounds fun. So uh, we'd get in and do the events. Uh, but now we just signed a deal, um, uh, depending on when you publish this talk, <laughs> I think I can say it, but we just signed a, a really major deal, which we are now have one of the leading um, wellness HRAs. So the first and foremost, uh, you know, $2 million spent in research uh, on this wellness HRA. So an HRA is just a health risk assessment that most employers um, have their employees uh, implement. And the problem with them is they just typically, you know, single out the risks and they don't really capitalize or optimize on the strengths of what people are already willing and capable of doing. So this is a major transformation in the way that um, companies are going to engage their employees in the wellness initiative. And we're sort of one of the first people to be able to uh, have that. And what really makes it special is it's going to be an online, integrated in an online platform, much like, uh, you know, the Facebook uh, you know, so you'll have a personal wellness page, and then the uh, the information from the HRA will be divided into two sections. Uh, one in which will um, basically uh, extract out the things that you're already willing and wanting to do, and give, make three recommendations to set some goals around, and then three health risks that you have. Maybe it's smoking or obesity or something, and some you know suggestions around that. And then it serves as a platform that we can bolt on. Uh, custom programming, whatever the company wants. So now, our suite of services, uh, you know, has programs that. Uh, I mean, today we talked to a. It's kind of controversial and kind of fun, but I don't know if we're going to implement it or not. But uh, you know, DNA testing. So, um, what are you genetically predisposed to? A lot of controversy around that. Don't know what we're going to do with that. But uh, some more things that are. Uh, you know, we do. We have wellness coaching calls that can be bolted on. Um, we do on-site yoga, we do movement classes, we do smoking cessation, uh, health challenges like The Biggest Loser. Uh, we integrate with biometric devices so we can always get feedback from, uh, from the clients or from the employees. Um, we specialize in, in kind of what differentiates us in the marketplace is that we're very ROI-driven. So there's an employee dash or an employer dashboard that uh, shows you the utilization and uh, shows you, you know, basically the changes that you're making along because we are, you know, biometrically uh, driven. What size companies are we talking about are uh, uh, using this service? Well, right now we're, so most of our wellness fairs started off in the, you know, 50, 75 to 200 was like a, you know, 
someone fun to fun to do business with. Uh, recently, we're in the 200 to 700 category, and uh, and now you know just in the last six months, we're entering the the you know 750 through 2000 um, because that's where you know those you know because of the online platform that we have now, we have a very scalable uh, solution that can be done at a higher level. And that was always our problem in the beginning is we just weren't scalable. Um, we had a great vendor network, which is why uh, uh, employers loved us because we knew all the wellness providers in the area. They were all successful. Um, they, had, they were dealing with patients that were suffering with the problems that were seen at the workplace, so they had immediate solutions for these people. So we became very attractive just by the, the vendor network. Uh, but it just wasn't scalable. So now we're able to... Uh, I don't want to say that we can go, you know, uh, too much higher than, you know, five or 6,000 employees at this point, but certainly we have our, our eyes set on that, that kind of a model. Uh, how many years ago was this that you started this? <laughs> I know, it's funny. So we, we it, it's kind of evolved. So it was Dr. Darren White, you know, bring Dr. Darren White to your office. And that's how it was branded, and that was O two. Uh, in 03, we thought it was weird that we were bringing Dr. Darren White into everywhere. Um, so we changed it to, and the other vendors got a little upset. So then we changed it to Health First Business Services. And, um, and that was the first, that was in 03, yeah, 03, um, end of 03. And then in 04, when I, uh, I, I purchased the clinic, we fully rebranded it as uh, uh, Worksite Wellness. And... Uh, um, it became incorporated in that year, um, got its own insurance and business, you know, model and so on. So, uh, so it's been it's been fairly rapid uh, succession. And, and again, you know, by accident it started. And uh, from then on, we ran in since we were running into the same um, people at these health fairs. There was and chiropractors are pretty um, pretty aggressive at marketing. So we, there was a couple chiropractors we kept running into all the time. And uh, they had another healthcare company called Healthy Business Networks, and and so we just decided to combine forces in in '04, and so we had a huge market uh, uh, change at that point. And then um, about uh, a year ago, we ran into another company called Prowell, and so now we partnered with that company, or not partnered, we actually uh, merged our two companies, and so you know. Linda is uh, one of the, she has the largest uh, production, she has a production company, largest producer of uh, fitness videos. Uh, I think she's responsible for Buns of Steel. Uh, and then Buzz Truett, a um, very dear friend now of mine, uh, he was a VP at Cliff Bar, uh, and then also uh, he founded the Nautilus Institute. So we really have a, a real super powerful team uh, that we're taking this uh, all the way to the top. Wow. Well, what is uh, your impression of the unification of upper cervical? So it's interesting, you know, with upper cervical techniques, we, you know, it, we're the most passionate uh, uh, crowd of people, you know, I've ever met. Um, and Mike Lenars used to joke, you know, we'd get six or eight guys in a room, uh, we'd draw a circle and say that was the, the skull, and then we'd draw a line down the center and argue over that for three or four hours. Um, and it's so true. Yet, um, over the last few years, we've been able to um, unify in a way, and maybe there are two or three splinter groups, but we've gone from maybe six or seven groups down to two or three. 
and uh, that's that's incredible. So I'm really excited about that. I'm, I've been very excited about the work that uh, UCHCA has been doing. Um, that's very powerful in uniting uh, us in not only in the profession but in image, and uh, and, and ultimately I think that's where um, they will win. Um, and so. I guess I'm pretty excited. The upper cervical diplomate program is another thing that's on the radar that's pretty exciting. And I think ultimately we're going to gain um, a ton of leverage inside of chiropractic to, you know, to really be able to make a difference, you know, on two fronts. I think on a political front we're going to be able to, you know, uh, immediately help big issues like, you know, the x-ray issue we're being faced with. And then uh, secondarily with an image and uh, uh, in, in kind of a re rebranding, so to speak, or repositioning uh, of chiropractic. So I think it's really exciting where we're going. Uh, when you mentioned the Diplomate program, that made me think of something I wanted to ask you uh, about earlier. Um, how long have you been teaching now? So, again, another thing that happened by accident. Uh, I've been teaching since, oh boy, la early last year, I guess March or April of last year, um, I was flying down to Life West a couple days a week and teaching the upper cervical systems class. And uh, mainly, you know, uh, sort of out of a, uh, you know, there was just a kind of a, a void of, of uh, uh, and, and a huge need for, for Blair on, on campus. So um, nobody was really kind of jumping in at that time, so I just decided that, you know, I'd fill the void until someone could step up. And uh, um, so I just really did it just to, you know, really just to get the students and, and get that awareness out there and keep it going. And um, so now I, it's a little less dramatic. I fly down uh, just for two quarters now uh, a year. So every other quarter I'll go down every other, uh, two times a week um, to teach that class. And Dr. Forrest is now, uh, you know, teaching the elective. So I teach the introduction. He teaches the elective. So it's just, it's super awesome. The, the upper cervical awareness in that school is, is incredible. And um, and I was very scared. I mean, upper cervical doctor going into a class that everybody has to take. So it's not just people that want to take it. I mean, it's a core class. And uh, so it was pretty fun. I mean, I, we have a lot of fun in that class. Uh, are you well received? Uh, I don't, it's hard to say. I mean, I think so. Uh, it, I don't know. I mean, uh, I haven't really thought about it much. Well, let me let, let me rephrase the question: Are yeah. are Life West students as jaded and cynical as Life University Marietta Not students are? <laughs> no, I love those students at, at Life West, and and uh, I mean, regretfully, I'm not able to get to every uh, you know email and phone call, um, but uh, I am. Uh, it, it, it's so much fun down there, and and people will stay after class or. You know, time and time on end, and and everybody's so engaged and so inquisitive and so appreciative. My gosh, uh, so appreciative. Uh, school for me was not like that. I mean, not at all. Uh, this is a really. I mean, the culture there is is really extraordinary, and uh, I, I love being there. How how long is the flight? Um, <laughs> I've got it down, so I've got a clear membership, which allows me to bypass pretty much all of the security. Uh, I've, I've, I have a record time from curb to gate uh, in 6 minutes and 38 seconds. Mm. Uh, and uh, so I, I can get down there in, in about an hour and a half, hour and 35 minutes from car to car. Mm. So uh, it, it's, pretty, it's a pretty simple jaunt for me. Yeah, that's not too terrible. 
especially if you've had to do any driving in Atlanta at all. That's not that big of a deal. No, no. And and I get some downtime on the plane. You know, I get a full hour and 25 minutes or 20 minutes to myself. Uh, and that's really been, been great as well. What historical occurrences in chiropractic do you consider to be uh, the most positive? And uh, what occurrences do you consider to be the most negative? Um, oh, wow. So I, I, I guess the most positive, and well, let's just start with the most positive. Um, the biggest influence, the historical thing that's occurred that, that influences me on a, almost on a day-to-day basis is, um, you know, the chiropractors that went to jail for what, what they do. And, uh, you know, it's not really an occurrence. It's actually a series of occurrences. But why it's so impactful to me, I think, is that, um, you know, I have bad days. And, and, and I wonder, man, why does this patient not get it? Or, you know, why is this patient not responding? And uh, or why is it so hard for reimbursement in insurance? Or why is this? Or why is that? And you just come home deflated at the end of the day sometimes. And then you think about those guys. And, uh, and the conviction and the dedication and the understanding and the philosophy uh, that they had, that they were willing to jeopardize not only their, their own lives, but their livelihood and the lives of their families, um, that amazes me. And so when I think I'm having a tough day, uh, I think about that. And then, you know, I quickly strap on my work boots and, and figure it out. Um, I think, you know, uh, negatively, uh, what what uh, what's what occurrence historical occurrence has been negative? Um, I, I don't know. Uh, it's a it's a hard question to answer. I think that that's. I mean, I think it answers the same question in the sense that that was pretty negative in our history that we had to go through that. Um, but I, I just guess I got a real positive spin on it. How. Uh... How do you personally manage your patients? Uh, you just mentioned uh, insurance, so I take it that uh, you do take insurance. You're uh, you're not all cash. Yeah, I have a very small percentage of cash in, in my practice. Um, Washington State has a every provider law, so we're very lucky in the sense that by law, if you uh, if you have health insurance, you have chiropractic coverage. Mm. So um, a very high number. Uh, almost everybody has uh, chiropractic coverage and uh, the coverage is, is pretty decent so I'm in Microsoft land and uh, um, they have you know 100% coverage no copay no deductibles nothing at all mm. um, so uh, we do we are in inside of an insurance uh, model um, on the other hand we're also one of the straighter states so um, physical therapy uh, is, is outlawed for chiropractors here, so there's no, um, so which is neat because you'll never have a patient show up and say, well, my last chiropractor put E-STEM on me. What's right. that? You know, we never have that. Mm. So we're pretty straight in the sense that the chiropractor is um, is uh, only allowed to do uh, adjusting and uh, some exercises. So that's fun. Do they uh, put you on? Uh, or do they have pretty strict parameters for uh, uh, care protocols? They uh, they do and they don't. I mean, so when they run out of care, then they they're on you know they're on their allowed amount. And they have to pay cash, mm. and uh, so we have a system to convert them out of their insurance and into the cash. Um, and and so you know everybody starts on a program of care, and uh, um, we outline a certain number of visits depending on what's going on. 
uh, and we just move them, you know, through their insurance re- reimbursement. And, you know, quite frankly, insurance does run out you know, sort of fast, so uh, you still have to have the skill to be able to convert them over into uh, paying cash. Do you recommend uh, frequent subluxation checkups, or do you put your patients on PRN fairly quickly? Uh, how do you do that normally? Um, we put them through a program of care, and uh, which is uh, a series of checkups along with a series of exams. Usually lasts about four and a half months or six months, depending on what's going on. Uh, and then we do a re-X-ray, um, and then after that, we put them on more of a supportive uh, plan where just depending on how long they hold their correction for uh, is how long we may see them. Uh, you know, a lot of patients might be uh, monthly or I have quite a few patients quarterly and, and a few stars that are, you know, kind of a yearly thing. I have a patient that's held for five, four, four and a half years now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it just depends. What ways do you educate your patients? From start to finish. Uh, so we're educating right at the... Um, at the screening, uh, which is where we meet most of our new patients. Um, we educate during the exam in, in a kind of a touch-and-tell exam. Uh, we educate again at the consult. We educate again at the report of findings. Um, we do healthcare classes on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday nights. So we, we make all of our patients uh, attend that class. When I say all, I would say about 60 or 65% actually get to that class. That's kind of a tough thing to uh, to do. Uh, we educate again at the re-report, re-exam. So it's a lot of one-on-one. Um, we, we've uh, done newsletters. We've, we have a Brycan system in the office right now, so there's monitors in the, in, above the resting chairs. Mm-hmm. So they're constantly being pinged with uh, um, good, good education, um, which is, is just so important and, and vital because as soon as they leave your office, every third commercial is... Uh, programming the um the they're unprogramming what you just did mm-hmm. do you uh, have much of a relationship with medical doctors and do they seem to get what you're doing very lucky uh, I practice in um, a hospital environment so I'm I'm one block from the hospital uh, so I'm in a huge medical community and uh, very earlier on I you know happened to uh, have a few medical doctors that uh, were drug in by their wives and uh, had amazing results. Uh, one in particular um, from John Hopkins University, actually. Uh, he's a medical doctor slash uh, researcher and, um, you know, uh, just had a, a major change in his shoulder, and I never touched his shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we just did the atlas correction, and uh, two days later, uh, uh, an injury that uh, was bothering him for two years. He couldn't lift his arm uh, above his shoulder mm-hmm. for two years imagine that um, and, and could and so that's just you know spawned a, a great relationship in, in, in the community that we're pretty lucky to have how do you stay motivated uh, that's a good question because you sound uh, really busy <laughs> I'm very busy and, and I think the way I stay motivated I mean my mind is so I have ADD I'm pretty sure if somebody were to sit down with me and, and uh, they would they would tell me I have ADD and then when you add some caffeine to that, it, it really gets interesting. Um, I'm fascinated uh, constantly in how um, stories are told throughout businesses and, and how businesses run and work. So I, it doesn't take me long before I see something and be like, wow, how do we do that in chiropractic? Mm-hmm. Or how can I do that in my practice? So I think that that constant fascination keeps me going. And uh, I don't really have any 
weird rituals or music or or uh, I um, I don't know. I just I'm just constantly fascinated by how other people do things and uh, you know and I want to cross appropriate that into into chiropractic and uh, nothing's more exciting than, than than you know doing that. So I guess that's what I guess that's what keeps me going. What's been your biggest dis- uh, disappointment in your chiropractic career, and what would you have done differently? Um, the biggest disappointment in my career was the expectation that chiropractic had this huge, great image, uh, and uh, that we would be revered as, you know, heroes, uh, so to speak, and that we would be uh, interviewed constantly. And I just, when I heard the story, I just thought, wow, this makes sense. This is what America needs. And and that's been disappointing, and, and you're not always well received, and and, uh, um, and so it's kind of I don't know if I would have done anything different about about that disappointment, um, but I am very conscious of it now, and and uh, moving forward, uh, really want to do everything I can to you know reposition myself in my own marketplace and, and contribute to repositioning you know chiropractic and in, in, in its place in healthcare because I truly think. You know, we're the leaders, and uh, we just haven't led yet. Mm-hmm. So, if you had to start over from scratch, knowing what you know now, what would you do differently? Um, you know, I told you earlier, I, I've had a series of just really great experiences. I'm not sure that I would do uh, anything differently, but I would certainly, uh, looking back, I would do it a lot uh, quicker. So um, I don't know. It sounds like you went pretty quick. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's been fun, but you know, now that you look back, you're like, oh yeah, you go find a mentor, you you stay next to them, and you work real hard. And and uh, so, like looking back, it's pretty. You know, I've been pretty lucky. I don't know if I'd really change anything. I met some fascinating people along the way. I continue to meet fascinating people. Um, I guess if I if I'd done it any any different, um, you know, it would be faster and more focused because I feel like. Um, you know, I had a series of, you know, a couple setbacks in, in practice that uh, um, I could be even, you know, further along now. Uh, so, uh, like things like acting, I was pretty shy um, getting out of school and quiet, and it's so much so that, you know, Dr. Lenard used to yell at me to speak up and speak louder. Um, and so I was a bit timid. And so, like, taking acting classes would have been a great thing to do, maybe while being in school, you know. Uh, just to get yourself out and expressive, and um, so I, I think something like that. I would I would I would have worked on those skills earlier than than being forced to figure them out now. Have you? Uh, yeah, I, I'd read one time that uh, you really admire Guy Kawasaki, and uh, you were uh, referring to his book, The Art of the Start. And uh, around the same time I read that book, I was reading another book that was written by uh, Frank Betker called How I Went from Failure to Success in Sales. Have you ever heard right. of this book? I, I haven't, no, but I'm writing it down. It's, this guy, he wrote this book in the 1940s, and it is so timeless, the stuff that he talks about. And it is, the, the, the stuff that he gives is so pragmatic and so simple uh, and and the very first thing that uh, he talks about is uh, enthusiasm. That whatever it is that you're doing, you have to do it with enthusiasm. 
and uh, he was a baseball player before he became a salesman and um, he uh, got cut from uh, his team and he went and asked the coach uh, you know why he got cut and he says you know you just don't do anything out on the field you know I, I can't even tell that you're there so he got hired by another team and he was determined that he was going to do the exact opposite and so he acted enthusiastic and realized that by acting enthusiastic he became enthusiastic and became an MVP ended up getting traded and got a huge contract with a professional team and he related it all back to acting enthusiastic when he didn't feel enthusiastic and then became enthusiastic and uh, the whole book is just filled with really simple, pragmatic things that, you know, when you first read, you're like, ah, that's too, that's too simple to really have anything happen. But um, I think you'd really like that book. Yeah, I appreciate the referral to it because uh, it, it, it is, it's so funny. You know, we search for these really complex, convoluted solutions to things, and, and really it's, it's a, uh, it's just doing some, you know, a series of small, simple things, such as like, you know, just, you know, acting that out, you know, uh, that really makes the, the big difference over time. How would you like people to describe your contribution to upper cervical chiropractic? Um, well, flat out, I want uh, uh, my contribution to be described as, so I feel like there's a huge void in a, few, a huge disconnect, kind of like we were talking about earlier, that uh, you know, chiropractors eating their young, and there's a disconnect between uh, the students in school and successful doctors in the field. So my contribution would be, uh, I, I'm really working on every step of the way, the, the link between getting that student uh, into their own practice and being super successful. And so in, in our system, uh, you know, I want to revive the word apprenticeship versus, you know, versus coaching. And, uh, and and really, uh, you know, flood the, the students with tools to, um, you know, to be successful uh, and then help them along the way as they're getting out of school um, and then, you know, giving them the opportunity once they're out. So uh, that's how I, I most want to be uh, remembered uh, for my contribution to chiropractic is, is just accelerating that, that process. And... Uh, um, and, and then I think at the same time, you know, um, I, I, I feel like chiropractors, uh, you know, should be, um, and, and, you know, the flat-out leaders of the wellness revolution. And, and we now have an opportunity to do that. And so I, that's my, you know, second sort of concurrent uh, uh, obligation. If uh, you could change one thing about the chiropractic curriculum in the colleges, what would you change? Uh, you know, I, I, I love uh, Dr. Jerry Klum and, and, and his wisdom, and uh, uh, so they're moving to a model where um, you know students are going to be able to uh, you know intern inside of a real practice before they get out of out of school mm -hmm. and I think that's the main thing that needs to change in, in the chiropractic curriculum and that's how we're different from a lot of other professions is uh, uh, we don't really get a whole lot of I mean we do have a little bit of a bubble in the student and in, in outpatient clinics but it's not real it's just not real enough mm -hmm. and uh, um, so you know he's moving to a model where 
these students are going to be able to experience a real-life clinical experience uh, on a high level, and I think that's going to give them the business skills and the marketing skills uh, that they can layer upon their current, you know, clinical skills, which are, you know, mostly pretty good getting out of school, but uh, still the practical application to the multitude of different types of patients that show up is still left uh, uh, mostly under misunderstood. What advice would you give students who are soon to graduate and uh, be upper cervical doctors? Um, I, I guess, you know, visit. So uh, I, I guess, uh, you know, in, in answering another previous question from that I probably missed out on is, is uh, I, I wish I'd visited more chiropractors um, before, uh, um, you know, getting into my own getting out onto my own, so like while I was in school. So my biggest advice would be to visit and, and, and uh, find a chiropractor that you just love as practice and, and just chat with them every once in a while and check in, you know, how you doing this, how you doing that, what's happening, and then you'll learn something and then go read a book about it and study it or learn about it or take a class about it. And so there's a lot of things you can be gaining uh, in school um, uh, to get you prepared for uh, out of school, but I think it starts by visiting real practices or marketing for a doctor. That would be even better. Imagine you were, you know, getting Dr. Forrest uh, 12 new patients, a, you know, a month uh, before you even got out of school. I mean, that would be a awesome skill. Mm -hmm. uh, what goes along with being the Blair Chiropractor of the Year? I'm not sure. <laughs> they don't even give you a Starbucks card? I, I apparently, uh, oh, well, I got, yeah, I mean, there's a lot that goes along with it, but I don't know how they came up with it. Um, uh, that was a, a, a vote that I was not present for, so uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Hey, if anybody would like to uh, contact you or get any information about any of uh, your uh, programs and what we've talked about, uh, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, the best is my personal email address, so Dr. Darren White uh, at Mac.com, D-R-D-A-R-R-E-N, white like the color, at Mac.com. And certainly, you know, check out what we're up to at, uh, you know, ownyourdreampractice.com, so uh, www.ownyourdreampractice.com. Very cool. You have a good evening. Right. Yep, you too. Appreciate okay. it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.